Good morning, Northwest, and welcome to the third service. How are you doing this morning? Excellent, absolutely wonderful. <clears throat> Second service. What if, which one did I say? Third service. We're starting early on the third service. <laughs> Um, if you were here, if you are here this morning and you are expecting to hear Ravi Zacharias, uh, our apologies that Ravi Zacharias can't actually come today. He had some major throat problems when he was in Europe recently, and um, uh, his doctor has, has told him he has to cut out um, most of all his teaching engagements until his his throat properly recovers. The problem is he's actually been having lots of throat problems for quite a while. So um, he had asked to be released from speaking this morning. And of course, we, uh, um, we've acquiesced to say, yeah, it's not a problem. So what we decided to do was get another foreigner with a funny accent to come in and speak this morning. That's me. <laughs> I didn't realize I was so popular. Thanks very much. <laughs> this morning, I want to talk about women. That was claps of fear. <laughs> half of us are like, yes, the other half are like, oh my gosh, someone's gonna die. <clears throat> I want to talk about women this morning because it's something that is important to us. Uh, uh, I grew up with, I don't know what you were like, but I grew up with a very strong mother. Uh, I have very strong sisters too. And uh, I, my, my mother, it's, it gets, it's good to have strong parents and especially a strong mother because I think having a strong mother gave me a good direction. It gave me, you know, uh, wisdom. She gave me uh, um, character. She gave me scars. <clears throat> and um, there was one specific thing I can say that I think she gave me as well. She gave me the fear of God, right? Because I don't know what your mother's like, but my mother's the type of woman that where if she decides that uh, she, she wants to take it to a whole nother level, she'll just use God against me, okay? So <clears throat> I remember one day when I was about a teenager and I, I, obviously I was back chatting to her. I, I was just giving my opinion, my personal, my, my, what I thought I was just giving my opinion. She thought I was back chatting to her and she said, well, I'll just hand you over to God then. And then that was it. <clears throat> And that night, I remember going to youth group, and of course, I was probably horsing around, and, and, and I was sitting on the back of a chair, you know, like trying to do stunts with the chair, fell over, and all my, and, I, and I landed on my hand, and my fingers broke all the way back, hanging off the back of my hand. And so I'm looking at my hand with my fingers hanging down over here, like, ah, and everyone was like, ah, oh. and then the youth leader, of course, in those days, they didn't, have, they didn't have cell phones, that's how old and how long ago it is, and, uh, and, and he's like, oh, I have to get you to the hospital, so he took me and put me in the car, told the other youth group leader, hey, just look after the kids, do something, don't let them break their fingers. So he took me in the car, took me up to the hospital, got there, got me into surgery so they could fix my hands. And I wasn't there during this conversation, but of course he had to call my mother on the payphone to give her an update of what just happened. And from what I heard she said, she said, when he said, Mrs. Brunton, I'm really sorry, but Peter's had an accident. He's broken all of his fingers. And she said, then that will teach him to not mess with me again because the judgment of God is upon him. <laughs> right? And any of you who don't know my mother, don't be fooled by her sweetness, okay? So you can just see the youth leader going... What the heck? So my mother was like, what was your mother like? 
Now you understand me so much more, don't you? I did a funeral recently for a, a gentleman who had lost, uh, who had lost his life to, to cancer. And, uh, he was an American gentleman who'd actually married a Scottish woman. And at his funeral, I had said that I know two things about this man. I know that he was a very wise man because he married a Scotswoman. I also know that he was a very brave man because he married a Scotswoman. How do I know that? Because I've just told you about my mother. But the one thing that I've really, I think I've taken for granted in life is this, that I think I've taken for granted that women are free to be strong and to be everything that they're meant to be. Everything that God has designed them to be, they have the freedom to do that and to become that. It's easy for me to have taken it for granted because I grew up with a strong mother and with strong women and it wasn't because my father was weak but because they were free to be what they were meant to actually be, to become very strong people. I also grew up in, in, the, in, the, in the, the, the house that my parents uh, had was a very, very old house that <clears throat> was built in, the, uh, in 1900 or 1899 or something like that. And there was a long driveway up to their house that has a wall that goes down the, the, uh, at the very end. And if you look in that wall, it just looks like it's a wall that is edging the, the length of the driveway, but there's actually these little window holes and window sills that are actually built into the wall that are now bricked up. And when I was a teenager, I was asking my parents what this, this wall was, why is there windows there? And it turns out as we looked into the history of it, it was actually an old wall that was part of uh, a building or a house, a palatial palace called Farrington Hall. And with Farrington Hall, the more we looked into it, the more we discovered that this was a home that was uh, such a, a, a palatial home that was owned by a gentleman that I can't remember his name, but he was a jute baron. And a jute baron is someone who has made his wealth and his riches off of making jute. And jute is basically a raw material that comes from India. And in Scotland, they would make it into ropes. They would make it into the backs of carpets. And they would even uh, flatten it and sew it into canvas covers. In fact, most of, the, most of the, the horses and carts that actually went across America to conquer uh, the west of America were covered by this canvas that was made in my city back in Scotland called jute, and it was made from jute. And because in that culture, men were in control and were in power, they could become rich enough to really control society and to sustain the way that it was structured and keep it going and going and going. And around about that time, maybe some of you already know this, but how many of you ever heard of the suffragettes? You ever heard of the suffragettes? And the suffragettes were basically a group of women who rose up and said, enough is enough, things are not right in our culture. And so they decided to fight against the male-dominated establishment. Now, there's a difference between the suffragists and the suffragettes. The suffragists were basically women who decided to do things like picket, to be able to politically try and change the system, to try and get fairness for women. The suffragettes were the ones who broke into Farrington Hall and decided to burn it down because they wanted to make their point. My wife seems to enjoy that part. I don't know why, but 
Um, yeah, let's get on that. <clears throat> and so they did, they did lots of things like uh, they, would, they, they, would, they would make civil disobedience and they would start going against the way the culture was and so they would burn major, uh, major kind of uh, uh, homes or houses or things down that were held by very powerful people. And, uh, and, and in fact, Farrington, Fa- Farrington Hall was one of those homes. It was actually the first house in Scotland that was burnt down by the suffragettes and that was the start of the movement in, in uh, the, or really start of a, a new development of that movement in 1913. And then of course, World War I came along, the suffragettes died down and then after World War I, they rose up again to fight for their rights. What was it they were fighting for? Well, they were fighting for the fact that they didn't actually have the rights to vote. They didn't have the, the right to be able to be a, an equal voter in culture. Women didn't even have property rights. They couldn't be owned, they couldn't own land and they couldn't be uh, uh, given land in an inheritance. They didn't have equal pay and they certainly weren't allowed to have higher education. And in fact, if you look at many uh, 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 beginnings of colleges and universities in America, you'll discover that many of them and most of them actually were only male-dominated colleges. You weren't allowed to have a woman in those colleges and I won't name any of them right now. But what that tells us is that there was a problem with women being suppressed and oppressed in our cultures. Now you could say, well, that doesn't really exist anymore. That's not really happening anymore. Now maybe you could say, well, well, there's glass ceilings on pay. There's no equal pay in our culture. Today, I'm not looking to try and talk about glass ceilings. I'm not even looking to try and uh, 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 promote feminism or anything. But I believe that there's a battle going on that has happened since the beginning of time that is still raging today. And because we don't have these uh, perceived problems in our culture today, because you can all vote, ladies. You can all uh, uh, fight for a job. You can all... Uh, get a higher education, it seems like that that's not a problem in our world anymore and we would be sorely wrong because those issues are still a major problem in a lot of countries in this world today. And so what I want to look at today is <clears throat> what has been the enemy's plan to crush women? What has his goal been? What's his tactics been? And I want to look at what the tactics are because I believe it's buried in the beginning of the Bible and the more we look at it, the more we should start to understand what can we do about this? You see, I don't wanna just look at what the tactics are, but I want to look at what is it that we should do about it? Let me ask you this question. Why in the beginning of Genesis chapter three did the serpent speak to Eve and not Adam. Think about it. Why did he tackle Eve and not Adam? There's no record of him trying to take down Adam. He got in no discussion with Adam whatsoever, but only Eve. So in doing this, I want to find out what are the tactics so that we can do something about it and change it. Why? Because we have an obligation to bring the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in Hello. God already made and set his pattern and his plan in place. It was upset by the enemy. It's our job to take back what the enemy has stolen and make it a part of the kingdom of God. So let's read this. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, 
we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the, who did he call to? The man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, it was the woman, the woman that you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, well, it was the serpent that deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is considered the first prophecy of Jesus Christ to come. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The chapter continues on to, to list the curses that were now given to Adam as well. But I'm stopping there because we're talking about women today. There are three tactics that I see that the enemy has put in place to overtake our, the, the plans of God. And the first one is this. He took control of what Eve believed. She took, he took control in Genesis chapter three, uh, verse one. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? What was he doing? The smart thing with what the enemy did was if he could plant a question inside of her mind, she then starts to second guess herself. I believe that many people even struggle with this today. It's like this looping tape recorder in your brain that undermines everything that is inside of you that says, I'm meant for something great. You see, God has designed us to be more than just successful. He has made us to be significant in life. And the desire to be significant is often undermined by this simple tape recorder inside of your head that doesn't give you an answer to the question, but just sets the question in place that makes you break down the own beliefs that you have inside of yourself. Have you really got what it takes? Are you really capable of that? And what it did was it changed her belief about herself. It changed her belief about God and about Adam. It changed her belief about herself and that she felt like she was lacking something. Well, I'm not good enough. How many of you women have ever had that conversation in your head? I'm not good enough. And then she questioned God and, and then she had the second guessing about God. Well, maybe he's withholding something from me. 
And there was one thing that was for sure. She had a question inside of herself later on that said, will my husband stick up for me? Will he help me to become everything that I'm meant to become? And so right was wrong. Wrong was right. And I believe that that battle still exists to to, to today. And when beliefs are changed, then actions are changed. The amazing thing, listen now. The amazing thing is about this is that the battle that was won in her mind manifested in her womb. Now, I'll be honest, I've never ever imagined I would ever talk about a woman on stage at church, right? But here we are. There's something very important about this. That I believe that the enemy, his tactic was to overtake her womb. In verse, in chapter uh, 3, verse 16, it says this, that God says to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor and you will give birth to children. Now, when you read this, it looks like the enemy just made her second guess herself, but it's God who actually put the curse on her life. I don't believe that this was something that we call prescriptive. It was descriptive. What's the difference? Descriptive basically says this, that because you've done that, this will now be the result in your life. Prescription is where you get a, a, a parent that chooses which, which, which uh, punishment shall I give you for being disobedient? Well, I'm gonna put you in your room and I'm gonna ground you, no TV, no ice cream, no cookies, no fun stuff. That wasn't what God was doing here. He was being descriptive. He was saying because of this choice that you have made, this is now the result in your life. Even Rabbi Zacharias puts it very well. He says, God will give you the most sacred gift of the prerogative of choice, but he will not give you the privilege of determining a different outcome to your choices. God will give you the most sacred gift of the prerogative of choice, but he will not give you the privilege of determining a different outcome to your choices. Wow. This is why curses follow disobedience. Today we're even seeing that where with abortion. We are now even fighting uh, the, the, the whole argument of is it okay to kill a child and the woman? Is it okay for that to do? Hey, it's my choice, I can do what I want. Absolutely, you can have the free will to choose that or to do that, but it doesn't mean that we're devoid of consequences from that. Let me tell you how one of the consequences exists. In countries around the world today, Because women are not valued in culture whatsoever, parents don't want girls. They don't want to birth little girls. Why? Because this girl can't physically protect me. This girl can't inherit any of the riches that I have. I don't know that this little girl will be able to make enough money in life because you don't get paid. She won't get paid very much. So how is she going to look after me in my old age? And to this day, there are countries like China, like India, like very powerful countries that are still getting rid of girls. They don't want boys. They don't want boys. Now, what we say is, well, we don't select the gender in our country. We've got a law against that. We're still getting rid of our children. Now, what's happening in in other countries is because they've gotten rid of girls, there are so many men that the men, in order to find a spouse or to find a wife, have to go to the next village and kidnap some young girl so he can force her into a marriage and become his wife. 
You may be not watching the news much and hearing this, because it's not really reported that much on the news, but the Levant, which is ISIS, are actually now stealing children and women, and they're putting them into warehouses and then auctioning them off as female slaves to ISIS. It's happening right now today. That's happening, folks. And I don't know if you're even hearing about it or reading about it. It's happening. Do you think the battle is being uh, 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 is raging on in the world today? Yes, it is. And what's insane is that as much as we want to kill women in the birth, in, in, in the womb, we still need them in order to propagate ourselves. Is that not insanity? The enemy has brilliantly found a way in order to try and take over the womb. Now, let me ask this question. Why is it that he decided he wanted to conquer the womb? I'll tell you this. Listen carefully now. It's because that's the place that God's plan is put into action. The one command, there was two commands that God gave to Adam and Eve in the beginning. He said, don't touch this tree. And the other one is this, go forth and multiply. That command still exists today. That wasn't revoked. You see, if the enemy could find a way to conquer and crush Uh, the womb, then he conquers and crushes God's future plan for this earth. That still exists for us today. And thanks be to God that he has given us the cross, but it's our job to do something about it, to go forth and multiply. But the enemy has figured out how to stop this. Here's the last area that God, uh, that the enemy, I believe, has a tactic to control women. And it's in the control of her body. In Genesis 3, verse 16, it says this, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Again, I believe this is descriptive and not prescriptive. Let me give you some stats of what's happening in the world today. Human trafficking and slavery stats. That could be a British spelling, so just forgive me, okay? Human trafficking and slavery stats. Slaves today, 27 to 30 million slaves in the world. That's a UN statistic. 27 to 30 million slaves in the world is more slaves existing today than in the entire 200 years of transatlantic slavery between Africa, Europe, and America. 200 years. There's more today than there was in that entire 200 years. Is that not unbelievable? The percentage of those, of those people who are actually women is 80%. Do you think there is a war against women? Of course there is, 80% of percentage of all those 27 to 30 million, 26% of them are children. And of all the 27 to 30 million, the average age is 12 to 14 years old. How many of you are shocked by that? One of the problems I have with stats is this. The problem I have with stats is that sometimes when I read stats, it's like watching 2020. You know, watching a a shocking report on something that's happening in the world and you watch it and go, that's fascinating and it's shocking and then I'll switch the TV off and I'll do nothing about it. That's a major problem in my mind. Quite a few years ago, my mother-in-law took me to um, a women's conference and changed my life. One most wonderful conference I ever had. I can't say my expectations were that high because I'm like, I'm a guy. And Pastor Mark and I are the only guys at this women's conference, right? And we're sitting there going, okay, let's see what we get out of this. This is going to be awesome. And so it actually was good. It was good. Okay, it was good. And so, um, and so we were at this conference, and I'll tell you why it was good, because it changed my life. 
And we went to, they had these breakout sessions where they had uh, different teachings on uh, different things about women in ministry, women in culture, etc. And so, you know what you do is you make a list of all the classes that you think are important all the way to the, to the ones that you don't want to do. It's like, oh, I could do that one. Oh, that might be interesting. I'm not too sure about that one. Right? So we literally went from class to class to class and they were all filled up. And we came to the one that was and we realized this is not a particular class that I want to do. It's on human trafficking. Why? Because it doesn't sound interesting. It's not my thing. That's not what I do. I'm not over there where people are really being trafficked. Surely that's not something I do. And then Crystal and I looked at each other and went, well, you know, what are we going to do? Sit around, let's go in. So we went in, listened to all the stuff about human trafficking, and it really was horrible. And it was very informative. And it was like, wow, that was very interesting. But I still left and did nothing about it. And so what I did was, uh, my wife actually uh, bought a book, and that book is called Terrify No More, that was written by Gary Haugen. And it's a book about human trafficking, especially in the Philippines, where his group called IGM first started in the Philippines. And there is a specific city in the middle of the Philippines called Svet. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Don't Google it because the FBI track anyone who actually Googles that city. Why? Because that city was a pedophile destination for tourism. And what they would do is traffickers would go into the countryside and they find poor families and then they would tell the poor family, hey, if you give me your 14-year-old daughter or even your 8-year-old daughter, I will take her into the city and I will get her a job cleaning and then we'll send the money back to you. And these poor families would allow their little girls to be taken away, except they weren't going off to be put into a cleaning job. They were being put into rape, sex slavery. It's very prevalent in the world today. And so we got this book and, and, and when we got this book, I took the book home and I, I put it down on the nightstand and I hadn't actually read it yet. And as I was sitting, and, I, I, and, and during that time is when Crystal and I were actually looking for another car and we took and we, and we went to a, a car dealership and we took our old car and said, hey, we want to trade this car in. Can we buy another car? And they're like, sure, we can trade your car in. We'll sell you this other car at this amount of money. And let's say it was, you know, $20,000. And then we'll just take your old car and we'll trade it in and we'll do it that way. Four hours hours later, they were still fighting me over the price when they had already said, this is what the price is, and kept haggling me back and forward. Well, the only way we can do this is you just keep your old car, buy this new car, and then you can just do something else with the old car. I'm like, I don't want to keep my old car. I want to get rid of this old car. And I went into this argument back and forward, and I was incensed because I couldn't get this sorted out. I mean, how hard can this be to buy a car? And that night I went home, and this was 10 days later, um, after this conference, uh, the, the 10 days later I was looking, buying this car after that conference, and I went home and I sat down in, the, in my bed that night, and I was still kind of frustrated with the way I'd been treated at just trying to buy a stupid car, and I opened up this book and I read the first chapter, and it was the story of one girl, and I can't remember her name, and it was her story of how she was kidnapped from the countryside and taken into Spitpah. And I was so affected by that that I remember turning to Crystal and I shut the book and I said, we're not buying another car. Because God spoke to me right there and I knew he said this, you waited 10 days to read that book. 10 days did one girl wait for you to rescue her. And that cut me to the core and I realized that my feeling of unfairness with that car suddenly disappeared 
and I felt this need and desire to do something about the knowledge that I had. See, many of you have the knowledge of what's going on in the world and how the enemy is raging against women and going putting them into trafficking, but we haven't converted that into a need to do something about it. That day was a conversion into a need inside of me to do something about it. There was one person in the scripture that we have just read that could have done something and hadn't done something. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. What does that say? Wait a second. He was with her. The guilt that I think that I carry is that I know a whole bunch of stuff and I know what's going on, but I have stood still and not done something about it. From that day forward is when Crystal and I made a decision to say, we're going to get involved. We're going to do something about this. We're not going to be like a suffragette that try to bomb houses or try to make things happen by force, but we're going to recognize that the enemy has a plan of action to take down women and we're going to get involved and do something about it. Here's the good news. The good news is this. I love what we have been doing in this church, where we have been getting involved to attack what the enemy's uh, uh, tactics have been. And the first one is on number three with the body where he's been taking down the body of women. We're now involved with IGM. We're fighting human trafficking. And many of you are actually involved with that. We are raising money or giving money or getting the word out there to say, we've got to do something about this. Crystal just took a group of women up to DC recently to go to the conference to learn and to find out what they can do to get involved and then go to the politicians' doors, knock on their doors and say, get involved. Here's the second thing we're doing. We're also in partnership with True Life Choice. Is that right? We're in partnership with True Life Choice. You know what I love about True Life Choice? Where what they do is uh, they, they really deal with, 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 the, with the, the issues of people, women that are pregnant and are thinking about having an abortion. What they don't do is just walk into their life and say, you're wrong, pick the ways of God. What they do is say, here's another option. I love that they bought a building recently that is right across the road from one of the worst abortion clinics in Orlando. And it's awesome, isn't it? Wow. I love that they've got that building and they're not standing there going, you're sinners, you're going to hell because this is not about condemnation. This is about us attacking the enemy and winning the minds of women back to say God has made a great plan for you and whatever he has allowed to exist inside of your womb could be the very thing that brings about the plans of God here on earth. Wow, I love that. The other thing that we're involved in as well is something that actually was birthed from this church. It's called The Lovely Project. I'm going to ask my mother-in-law to come up and speak about this because she actually founded this very thing and it has just absolutely been a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. Thank you, Pastor Peter. We know that loop he was talking about that goes over and over and over in your mind, that loop that says you're not strong enough to do anything important. You don't have enough money to do anything important. You don't have enough resources to do anything important. That's a loop I heard going over and over again. But this body of believers and close friends that joined with us has started this lovely project. And let me assure you 
that we are making a difference in this city. It's a small beginning, but it's begun. We've had several elementary schools call us and say, could you please come to our school and start a mentoring program? These young girls need the message that the Lovely Project brings, which is your life has value. Your life is significant. Your voice is important, and we want to hear what things are harming you, what things excite you, what things you dream about. And I just want to thank this body of believers. I want to thank this local church and our close friends, because there is a lot of sweat that has gone into this. There is a lot of people that have donated time and money. There's been a whole lot of Uber driving going around. Some of these mothers are driving their daughters to schools all over the city, I had one young mother come up to me after the first service, and she was weeping. And she said, I want to start a lovely mentoring program in South Apopka. I said, honey, you're already doing so much. You're already babysitting for, for two groups that meet in the schools. And she's like, well, it's not enough. Like, everything in its season. But I just want to thank you. We're going to show a, a, a dance, and I want to thank Justin Rowe publicly for his amazing talent and we give him just a little bit of a, a fish, and he turns this great, phenomenal thing out of it. And this church, this body, I love what Matt DeSalvatore said last week, it's homegrown. And I want to thank you. This is just the beginning. In 50 years, when people look at Orlando and they go, you know, this city is different. The families in this city are different. The marriages in this city, it's different. We're going to look back to that day, and we're going to go, this church had a part of that. The Lovely Project started a revolution with families. And a revolution starts with sweat. A revolution starts with a belief, with that belief that he was talking about, that we can make a difference. That loop can change in these young girls' lives, in their mind. That loop can change from one of, nobody cares about me. My dreams aren't important. I don't have a future. I don't have a parent that will stay with me. I don't have enough money. I don't have. That loop can change to, I am valuable. I have a future. I have friends. I have people that care about me. And that's what you're a part of. So we're going to turn down the house lights, and I want to show you what your generosity, what your love, what your compassion is doing in this city. Don't forget, we have the benefit in two weeks. I know you've heard about it for months now. If you haven't bought a ticket, please do, because this is what it's all about. So enjoy. We love you. This is from you for you. Like a small boat on the ocean Sending big waves into motion Like how a single word can make a heart open I might only have one match But I can make an explosion And all those things I didn't say
losing friends and I'm chasing sleep Everybody's worried about me In too deep Say I'm in too deep And it's been two years I miss my home But there's a fire burning in my bones Still believe Yeah, I still believe And all those things I didn't say Wrecking balls inside my brain I was screaming Do you want to fight on behalf of women? Then someone's got to say something. Be like Adam and stand up and say something, do something. Let's make whatever God has designed us to be come forth. I want to see that happen in our city. Let's, let's stand as we finish this morning's service. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to get together, to believe in your words once again, to see what you have for us, and to become everything that you have called us to be. Father, we ask that you would do something inside of us that converts this spectating into a participating, to say something, even if it just means reading a book. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to take the next step. Father, give us new vision, new desire, new momentum, and a new spirit once again to become everything that you've called us to be. We ask in your precious son's name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. May God bless you and keep you. Make his, make his face to shine upon you. Have a great day.